Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. Hello and welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR. You're listening in on 8.55am, 3CR Digital Radio and 3cr.org.au online. Uh, from the Brainwaves team today, we have myself, Lauren and Rebecca. And today we are going to be talking to Danny Sullivan, who is the Executive Director of Clinical Services at Forensicare. Thank you so much, Danny, for joining us today. No, it's a great honour. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, so just to start off, could you tell us a little bit about Forensicare and their role in Victoria's prisons? Sure. So Forensicare is a public mental health service. So we're funded by the state government. And we provide services to people who have offended or are at risk of offending. And that means we run a secure hospital for inpatients and we provide hospital services or outpatient services in prisons. And we also have a community clinic that provides assessments and also manages a small group of people or provides treatment. Okay. Um, How prevalent is mental illness um, among the prison population? Well, it's horribly prevalent. So here's a a dreadful statistic for you. In the United States, um, they say that there are 10 times more people with schizophrenia in prison than there are in hospitals. So with the closure of um, a lot of the state mental hospitals in the United States, a lot of those people have ended up in prison. Hmm. So what we know from all of the studies internationally is that the rate of schizophrenia in prisons is between three and eight times higher than it is in the community. Mm-hmm. that the rate of depression is higher, the rate of personality disorder is significantly higher and the rate of substance use is um, almost universal. And as well as that, there's high rates of intellectual disability and cognitive impairment. So despite a range of um, you know, what should be humane opportunities to divert people out of the prison system, there are still a heap of people in there who probably shouldn't be and should be receiving treatment elsewhere. Yeah, and for that statistic, um, is it people who have already like gone into prison already having some sort of mental illness or is it kind of peop- like prisoners being in prison and then developing kind of like mental illness? I think most of it is people who already have pre-existing problems. Um, okay. In some cases, it might be the first time a diagnosis is made, uh, particularly for people who have avoided services. So there's, there's certainly numbers of people who are homeless and are pretty disengaged from the rest of the world, pretty marginalised. And, yes. and when they get into prison, well, you know, there's, there are some positive things for some people about prison you get nutrition you get access to medical and dental care Um, for some people the sort of a you know a structured environment is helpful but most people don't necessarily want to be there yeah so I know you've taught you just mentioned like schizophrenia so what like which mental illnesses are most commonly dealt with Uh, okay well that's that's a really complicated question Um, in an outpatient clinic if I'm working in a prison most of what I'll see will be depression and anxiety. Okay. Um, and sometimes the, the underlying issue there is substance use. So obviously if you're used to using high levels of alcohol, cannabis, methamphetamine, heroin, 
and you go into prison and you can't access those things, your your brain chemistry is a bit changed and, you know, it's not as easy for you if you're addicted to a substance or if you crave a substance. So that's that's an underlying issue, but most of what you deal with is depression and anxiety. But there is certainly what what's most perhaps important um, is providing treatment for people with psychotic illnesses like schizophrenia. Okay. <coughs> So forensic care provides services at specialised facilities such as Thomas Elbling Hospital as well as to select patients in other prisons. What determines whether a patient will be housed in a general prison or in a specialised facility? Okay, I'll work that backwards. So Thomas Embling Hospital. Thomas Embling was um, the mayor of Collingwood and, in fact, he lived around the corner from the studio here in okay. the 19th century. And he was, a, he was a reformer. He argued that people should be kept out of asylums and should be returned to the community. And the hospital was named after him because uh, I think he was a, a pioneer of human rights before human rights was really an idea. So Thomas Embling Hospital is in Fairfield. It's got 116 beds, which is increasing in number. And the people who go there, there are three sorts of um, patients treated there. The first are, there's a very small handful of people who weren't able to be managed in the public health system, usually because they self-harm or cause lots of um, damage to property or assaulting to people. The second group are prisoners who are transferred out under the Mental Health Act as involuntary patients, and that's because um, they're seen as requiring compulsory treatment, and the only hospital in the state which is allowed to take them is Thomas Embling because it has a wall around it and it's got, you know, security. Yes. And then the third group of people are people who have been found not guilty by reason of mental impairment or unfit to be tried. So those are people who have committed a serious offence at a time when they were mentally disordered um, and there's a link between the mental disorder and the offence or else at the time they came to trial they were so mentally unwell that it wasn't seen as fair that they could participate in the trial. And so these people are they're acquitted they're not they're not guilty of an offence. Mm-hmm. But instead of being released back into the community, they're placed into Thomas Emling Hospital where they can be treated um, compulsorily. And the return to the community is something that happens when they're safe to return, when the community can be satisfied that they're unlikely to offend again. Okay. And so how can you assist new prisoners with getting used to the strange environment of prison? Yeah, well, that's, that's a good point. Let me, I'll just finish the second part of that because... That's who goes into Thomas Embling Hospital. Mm-hmm. If you come into prison, um, the determination of where you are is really based upon how unwell you are. So if you've got a, a significant mental disorder which needs treatment and you're refusing it, you can't be treated against your wishes in prison. Okay. There's no involuntary treatment in prison. Um, and we think that's a really good thing because prison's already a, a coercive environment. Yeah. And in some places internationally you can treat people against their wishes, um, I and my colleagues are staunchly against that. That means that if you are seen as requiring treatment and unwell enough to satisfy the Mental Health Act, you can be certified and transferred to Thomas Embling Hospital. And then, of course, you have the protections that are built into the Mental Health Act. You have the rights to review by the Mental Health Tribunal. And again, that's important. You need scrutiny of closed institutions so that people can't be sort of lodged there for political reasons as they have been in the past or lodged there because they're difficult or lodged there and forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that determination is made in prison. The other the other group of people, um, the determination is made by the courts. So when, when someone comes to Thomas Embling Hospital who's been found not guilty by mental impairment or unfit to be tried, um, we don't have any say. They, they get placed into the into the hospital 
and the determination that they can be re released from the hospital comes from a separate body. Mm. So it's not the psychiatrist or the mental health team making a decision. Mm -hmm. So the treatment that um, forensic care provides, so is it based on the voluntary or it, or can it be compulsive? Well, it's, it's an interesting perspective because, again, most of the people I work with, you know, work with people who are under some degree of compulsion, but most people aren't comfortable with that. So we really try and adhere to the principle that you treat people in the least restrictive way. Mm -hmm. So to give an example, um, people who come to our community service, they're voluntary. Um, they might be directed to attend by the courts, mm. but we wouldn't treat them against their wishes. Okay. So if they said... If, if I thought someone needed medication, I would discuss it with them and offer them the choice. And if they said, no, I don't want your medication, there's there's no compulsion that's offered there. Now, that yeah. might place them in breach of a, of a legal order, so they might get in trouble for it. Mm -hmm. but, but again, the contract between me and the patient is one that's based upon voluntariness. In prison, um, someone might not want to have treatment, and then it's, it's a negotiation and it's a discussion. And, you know, my job is to provide compelling reasons why I think someone needs treatment. Um, I'm, I'm grateful in, in most cases, most of my prison clinics, if you add up the amount of medication people are on when they come to my clinic and when they finish the clinic at the end of the day, I'm usually reducing it. I usually want people off medication as much as I can. Okay. Because there's a lot of medication prescribed in prison, which is for sort of general distress. Um, some of it's got a lot of side effects. So I work in a women's prison. Um, there's a lot of weight gain and a lot of... Um, you know, unnecessary side effects mm -hmm. for people who don't necessarily have a primary mental illness like schizophrenia, but who are perhaps, you know, no longer able to use cannabis or alcohol, whatever they were using to, to manage their difficult or distressed or traumatic lives in the community. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of in the hospital, treatment there is compulsory. But again, you know, I think we, we tend to get good reports from our patients, many of whom who don't want to be there, but we, we have a strong consumer representation. We have consumer representatives. We have consumer advisory groups in each of the units and across the hospital. Um, and we certainly focus very clearly on, you know, trying to make it a shared journey and trying to provide, um, you know, support to make what we think are the right decisions. But, you know, we, we're based on the recovery framework there. So we're focused on um, negotiation and discussion rather than sort of compulsion. Because we have a, a long length of stay, people who come to Thomas Hemling Hospital can stay for, for some years. Um, we have perhaps the luxury of time that doesn't occur in area mental health services. So it's not a pressure to get people better and to get them out because there are more people who need the very few beds. What it means is that we have time to actually, you know, try and bring people around to a discussion and see why it is that the medication that we think might be helpful is helpful for them. Okay. Yeah. Um. <coughs> So providing forensic mental health care can probably be like a challenging job, I'm guessing. Um, is violence and aggression a problem? Yeah, well, look, it is a problem. It's a problem across all mental health services. A lot of that, I think, is related to substance use, um, particularly acute substance use. But obviously, we're dealing with a population, many of whom have significant offending histories, many of whom um, have used fairly large amounts of violence, whether intoxicated, whether psychiatrically unwell or whether simply because they're just used to using violence to get their way. Um, so it is a significant problem. Um, most of the people who work in forensic psychiatry do so because they um, hold strong values about wanting to help mentally disordered offenders. Um, they're a very stigmatised population. So in okay. addition to having often um, a primary mental illness like schizophrenia, mm. um, often a substance use problem, and in many cases, you know, personality difficulties that make them difficult to get along with, 
if they've offended, you just have to read the newspapers to see that it's a group of people that a lot of the community doesn't have much tolerance for. Mm. But, you know, prisoners are citizens too. Prisons prisons are places in which you go in and it's, it's both stark and um, horrifying on the one hand and on the other hand there's a lot of very ordinary stuff happening in there, people going about their lives just behind a wall and who will return to the community. So most of the people that I work with have a pretty strong foundation of respect for people. Um, they try and communicate pretty clearly. It's not bullying or coercive as much mm-hmm. as they can, um, you know, remove that. It's it's a negotiation between people. And we tend to find that if you treat people with respect, um, most of them will treat you with respect back. Some people are just disrespectful and, yeah. you know, they use violence. And some people are really unwell and violence is a part of them being unwell. Mm-hmm. And we, we, of course select that group of people that's by no means the majority of people but the selected group that we get are that that group mm-hmm. and so how would you describe the um the funding situation for mental health services in prison okay so funding funding in mental health services has diminished over the years relative to other forms of health care um, in prison i think the funding is actually quite high at the moment and that's because we're building prisons all the time and there's more people in prison so that the numbers of male and female prisons prisoners have essentially doubled over the last eight years in Victoria. Uh, we still don't imprison as many as other states in, Victor- in, in Australia or as other countries, but there's certainly been a big growth in prison services. And with that, I think there's quite a, a lot of funding that goes to mental health services in prison. Um, our problem really is that, you know, for many people, I think we'd argue that mental health services in prison is fine, but mental health services should be provided ideally in the community. Mm-hmm. When when it can't be provided in the community, in a hospital is a, is a better setting. What we do have in prisons, though, is the opportunity to provide more than just, you know, medication in an outpatient clinic. So we have units based in Port Phillip Prison, in the women's prison, Dame Phyllis Frost Centre, in the, um, the new Ravenhall Correctional Centre and in the Melbourne Assessment Prison. And all of those units... Um, have between 16 and 30 beds, uh, 75 beds in the place of Ravenhall, and they have a full team. That means you've got psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, occupational therapists, nursing staff, um, in some cases peer consultants or consumer consultants. You know, So that, that offers you the chance to provide a better quality of care than is just going to be provided with a brief outpatient appointment and medication. Mm-hmm. So what are, what are some examples of the increased services you could provide with more funding? Okay, well, look, I think... Um, oh, that's a really complicated question. There's two, there's two arguments here. One argument is that you, you, serve, you serve people with forensic needs better mm-hmm. by funding general mental health services better because most people live in the community. Mm. So by funding more mental health services, particularly community-based ones... <clears throat> allowing longer episodes of care, not short hospital-based episodes of care with a with a short-term follow-up after which, you, which you're discharged. And secondly, um, providing well, two particular things, early intervention, so getting in, you know, when people are at the beginning of their episode of illness rather than once they've sort of got entrenched difficulties with unemployment or, you know, they're, they're struggling socially or they're sort of, you know, unable to find accommodation anymore. So a lot of that social care is really critical. And the other thing that's really critical is substance use treatment. So, um, and that's a difficult one. Not a lot of people with substance use problems necessarily seek out treatment. Um, so there are arguments that you know you might want to do that as part of a court order. So there's good evidence that things like a drug court works really well. If you're charged with an offence, um, instead of being locked up in prison, 
you're kept in the community, you see the judge every week or two, you have a caseworker, um, and your goal is to get free of the substance use. And, you know, if you if you muck up and you have a dirty urine screen, you go back to court and the judge waves a finger at you and tells you off. And, and if you do it too many times, you go to prison. <laughs> but if you respond to the treatment and the opportunities there, then maybe you can get sort of free of the drug and alcohol problems which are related to the offending. So that if, if you had your say with... Um, with funding for services for people at risk of offending or who have offended, you know, I would predominantly try and put that in, in the community. Specialist forensic services are expensive. I mean, they're good. I think most of the um, patients, say, in Thomas Emling Hospital would say that the, the level of treatment and care that they get in Thomas Emling Hospital is better than they would have got in an area mental health service because it's more expensive. Yeah. But, you know, I think a lot of the... Um, a lot of the treatments that could be provided in the community would be more than just um, medication and would involve a lot more assistance with employment, accommodation, you know, the sorts of things that return people to the community rather than leave them feeling that they've been excluded from it. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Do you think that there needs to be a shift from the view that prisons are solely places of punishment, punishment to a view that recognises the importance of rehabilitation? Yeah, look, I think... I think that's actually present. It, it's an interesting thing. Um, you know, I've I've seen a lot of correctional staff over the year and over the years, and there's a lot of prejudice, perhaps you know, based on television shows. But most of the correctional staff that I I have met are working there because they want to make a difference in people's lives. Um, most of the staff there um, recognise that you get you get better. Um, better change in people's lives by forming relationships with them and working with them rather than by being bossy and, you know, aggressive. And consequently, I think there is quite a push towards um, rehabilitation in prisons. Whether it's the right place for it is a different matter. But in terms of rehabilitations, you know, firstly, opportunities for employment and people that get employment in prisons, um, it's not well remunerated, but it passes the day. And people who put their sort of backs into the employment to me, seem to have a better quality of life in prison. They seem to be, you know, enjoying their time more and finding it um, mm. less um, harmful to them. There's a range of programs available and they're of, you know, variable quality. But again, people who are um, keen to make something good out of prison get what they can out of programs and they can also get involved in education. Um, and, the, and the final thing is that, you know, there, there are certainly opportunities for people who might find it otherwise difficult to access all sorts of health care to get good treatment in prison. Um, and by that I mean good dental care, access to treatments for hepatitis C, um, access to a range of, of treatments. You know, we work on what we call the principle of equivalence. You should be able to get an equivalent level of treatment in prison that someone could get if they lived in the community. Um, so, so I think that's sort of there. And I don't, think the, um, I don't think the attitude is simply that you lock people up and then at the end of their sentence the door springs open and good luck to you. I think there's a sense that you need to work with people. Um, the the reoffending rates are usually around 50%. Um, so the more you can do to provide people with the tools to um, not offend, the more you can link them to effective treatment and to supports when they get out of prison. And most of all, the more you can find people accommodation. That's really critical. Yeah. But but if you've been in prison, it's you know it's not easy to get a job. People can Google your name nowadays, and if, you, if you've got any sort of profile, you're, you're pretty stigmatised. So prisoners report that often getting out of prison is a really tough time. Okay. Yeah, I think... Do you think that there's been a lot of stigma around people in prison because of, like, TV shows such as, like, Wentworth and Orange is the New Black and all those shows? 
Yeah, oh, look, I, I haven't watched some of these shows. I mean, it's too, <laughs> too much like work. But um, yeah. but um, look, I, I think there is the, the fact of the matter is um, people are in prison for what they've done, not who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and prison is meant to be um, a place in which you're removed from the community and you're there as punishment is the saying, not for punishment. Um, so I certainly think there are a number of people I see who go to prison and it's a pretty rude shock to them um, and it's a pretty terrifying sort of place to be and there's a sense of, you know, life as I know it is over. Uh, mm. But I certainly see some people who um, are good at taking the positives out of it and saying, oh, well, look, you know, I've, I've screwed up in what I've done previously. Um, this is a chance for me to sort of get my get myself together and that can involve, you know, thinking about giving up the grog can involve thinking about um, taking advantage of education, um, thinking about who you want to sort of affiliate with in your life, who you want to hang out with when you get out. So I certainly see people who are keen to make a good fist of it. Mm-hmm. Now, whether whether um, whether those things are achievable from prison is, is a different matter because I think when people return to the community, particularly if they've been in for some time, it's, it's a rude shock. The world has changed. You know, everyone's got smartphones and they're carrying canvas bags and... Uh, you know, people come out of prison and say, you know, this is just, this is really different. Um, so I think there's there's something to be said for, for ways in which you perhaps mix prison with placement in the community. Um, you know, the use of things like home detention. There are ways in which you can keep people better connected to the community rather than simply removing them from the community. But of course, that's not going to be possible for all people. Yeah. And talking about that, what community care services are available for patients once they're released from prison? Yeah, that's that's a good point. So uh, Corrections Victoria um, funds a range of services and they, you know, they keep some housing stock and they, they link to a range of non-government providers. Um, there's a range of, I think, really good services in the space. They include some of the places like Jesuit Social Services and the Brosnan Centre, um, Salvation Army, AXO, um, VACRO. So there's a group of, um, of providers who will provide you know, everything from someone to pick you up at the front gate, um, assistance in finding um, accommodation and employment, um, you know, some activity to do. So I think when people get out, it's really hard to get back on their feet. Um, they get out with not much money and often you know, they've, they've cut their links to people who have been aware of their offending or they find themselves alienated from their community. So that sort of support is really critical. Um, but even, you know, really good support, people who have come out of prison still tell me that it's a real struggle. And one of the things we try to do is is link people to a general practitioner, which of course is not easy even for ordinary people, is it? It's, uh, it's a struggle to find a good GP and to, yeah. to get an appointment. And we try and link them to mental health services. Um, again, I don't think mental health services particularly stigmatise people with offending histories, but unless they're really unwell at the time, it can still be hard to get an appointment. You know, the, the focus has shifted so much to acute inpatient care, getting an appointment so you could see a psychiatrist and have a psych nurse in the community for six months or a year when you get out, that's a really hard thing to find. Yeah. And what, like in your personal opinion, um, what are some things that could be improved about um, the care after being released from prison? Well, prisoners routinely talk about um, the social aspects. They talk about difficulty finding good quality accommodation. I mean, the, the worst thing you want to do is to go back to a boarding house where everyone's using drugs and, um, you know, things are going to be stolen from you and you're surrounded by people who you knew in prison. Um, what, what people need is support from the community, good quality accommodation, 
um, and you know opportunities for education, which is why some of the providers that assist people when they come out of prison offer you know that sort of wraparound service. Hmm. And so, how important is your work to ensure the safety of the community? Oh, look, I think it's 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 one element of it. Um, it's it's only a small element. We're not there to protect the community. We're there to provide effective mental health treatment. Um, but there is no doubt that for some people who um, have unstable illnesses or who are um, who become very unwell with drugs, that the sort of um, intensity of follow up and the availability of good quality follow up um, certainly demonstrated to um, reduce the amount of contact with services that's in inpatient settings and to increase the length of time before someone reoffends. So mm. I think that that sort of demonstrates that it probably does have some impact on community safety. Yeah. And just lastly, <coughs> um, within like the next 5, 10, 15 years, where do you hope um, that like forensic care will be and for basically just mental health in prisons? Mm. Oh, that's a really good question. We, we certainly, um, you know, there's a lot of expansion going on and that, that um, is needed. Um, I hope that we have enough beds that people who need to be transferred from prison to hospital don't have to wait in mm. prison. Um, I hope that we have um, a range of more specialised beds, particularly so we can meet the needs of people, say, with brain injuries and intellectual disabilities, um, that we can have um, a lot more specific services for women, uh, perhaps specific services for people with personality disorder. Um, I would hope that um, that we're able to provide the same sort of quality of care that we provide in prison, which I think is a good quality. Um, and I'd hope that um, that we can support area mental health services to provide um, longer term and perhaps more um, socially founded treatment that follows them into the community when they're released. Yeah. So thank you so much, Danny, for coming on the show today and sharing your knowledge and the work of Forensic Care with our listeners. Um, so you can find more episodes of Brainwaves on our website, that's brainwaves.org.au, and on the 3CR website as well, 3cr.org.au slash brainwaves. We'll be back next Wednesday at 5pm. Stay tuned for Redigate Economists. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.